Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the uh, first ever Major Mondays webinar. It's the inaugural broadcast, so thank you to everyone who is joining. Uh, the, today, we're going over New York's no-fault law and loss transfer claims. Uh, let's get the live picture on there. There we go. Uh, so just so everyone knows this is a live broadcast and there's a question and answer feature you should be able to see it on your screen we'll be addressing questions at the end of the broadcast uh going forward the webinars will be at uh, 3 p.m instead of noon for the first one we're going to be doing the 12 p.m broadcast so uh just a brief overview what we're going to be doing with the major mondays webinar is going over some general litigation civil uh topics but because at Lois Law Firm, we do every aspect of workers' compensation insurance defense or every aspect of insurance defense, including workers' compensation. Uh, we'll be talking about the overlap of some of these topics with workers' comp law uh, and loss transfer is one that pops up very frequently. And it's one of the hairier, murkier areas of uh, civil litigation and the overlap with workers' compensation. So, um, I will say, caveat, it gets more complicated than this. This is a general overview, uh, just to sort of provide the view from uh, 30,000 feet. So let's dive in. <clears throat> okay, so what is New York's no-fault law? So this comes from Article 51 of the New York Insurance Law. Uh, and it includes the definitions of basic economic loss, the prohibition on lawsuits between covered persons. Uh, it also sets out what becomes the mandatory policy endorsements for automobile policies in New York. That's uh, 11 uh, NYCRR Part 65. Uh, so the no-fault law applies to accidents arising from the use or operation of a motor vehicle in the state of New York. And what it provides for is uh, first party benefits and coverage for what's known as basic economic loss. Now that is uh, necessary medical treatment and loss of earnings up to $2,000 per month for not more than three years following the date of loss uh, for a total of $50,000 in coverage. And uh, insurance law section 5104 bars suits between covered persons. So the overlap with workers' compensation claims. Uh, you can find this in uh, workers' compensation law section 29, 1A and 2A. Uh, 1A essentially says there's no lien for the first $50,000 paid in lieu of first party benefits. Uh, 2A basically codifies the uh, prohibition on lawsuits under insurance law 5104. It says the workers' compensation carrier, uh, there is no assignment of the right to litigation for the amounts paid under $50,000. So um, because the statute says no subrogation or reimbursement rights for the first 50,000 paid in lieu of first party benefits, the practical effect is a $50,000 carve out to our section 29 lien. In other words, if we paid $100,000, uh, 50,000 comes out of that and the latter $50,000 is what we're entitled to reimbursement on. So this is a uh, question that arises rather frequently. Is the carve-out absolute? Uh, the answer is absolutely not. The facts of the case do matter. This is something that pops up uh, rather often with third-party plaintiff attorneys, as I'm sure many adjusters know. 
uh, they'll invoke this $50,000 carve out as a club and they'll smack you over the head with it and they'll insist that it's absolute and the $50,000 comes out no matter what. And frankly, that's just not the case. So uh, we can break it down into its component parts, right? So user operation of a motor vehicle in the state of New York. So what qualifies as user operation? Uh, there's a number of different cases out there. For instance, um, dying from heat prostration in a truck because the air conditioning wasn't working wasn't the use of the truck as a motor vehicle. It was just coincidental that it happened inside of a truck. That was not use or operation of a motor vehicle. Using some uh, tangential function of the motor vehicle, such as a ladder uh, on a cherry picker to reach some other, to reach a higher ground, that is not using the motor vehicle as a motor vehicle. Uh, so it has to be use or operation, first of all. Of a motor vehicle, that's also defined by statute. Uh, caterpillar and crawler type equipment is excluded. Motorcycles are specifically excluded. So uh, if you have a workers' compensation claimant who gets injured while driving a motorcycle, that's not a motor vehicle, no $50,000 carve-out. In the state of New York, uh, this is one of my personal favorites. Doesn't matter if it's a New York workers' compensation claim, a New York claimant, a New York defendant, a New York employer. Uh, if the accident happens over state lines outside the state of New York, there's no $50,000 carve out to our Section 29 lien. Is the person a covered person? Uh, where you might see this pop up is the intoxication defense. Rarely ever works in the workers' comp context, but if the person is excluded from coverage for the purposes of no-fault law, then we're not paying workers' comp in lieu of first-party benefits. And the other thing to factor in is it's the first $50,000 from all sources. So if before anyone realizes it's a workers' compensation claim, the health insurer pays uh, the initial hospital bills, they'll probably seek reimbursement later on under the health insurance matching program. But for the purposes of getting to the full $50,000, it's payment from all sources. This may be the employer's disability coverage that they themselves provide under contract. Um, you'll see this very frequently in the union context, but it's not just what is paid in comp to get to the 50,000. And finally, remember it's for benefits in lieu of first party benefits. That only covers in terms of loss of earnings up to $2,000 per month for not more than three years. So if you have a schedule loss of use award more than three years after the date of loss, even if you haven't paid out $50,000 yet, uh, it's not subject to the carve out because it's indemnity paid more than three years after the date of loss. Same thing for if you're paying at the total disability rate, uh, maximum total disability rate rather, uh, approximately $900 per week, anything in excess of $2,000 per month is lienable under section 29. <clears throat> okay, so how to get back the first $50,000. Normally, as previously mentioned, it's non-recoverable. It's a flat carve out to our Section 29 lien. Uh, anything, any amounts paid in workers' compensation in lieu of first party benefits are not, we're not entitled to reimbursement as the workers' compensation carrier. Uh, Section 29.1A says that our sole remedy is injury company loss transfer under insurance law section 5105. Now, Insurance Law 5105 specific requirements for what qualifies for intercompany loss transfer, and that would have any vehicle in the accident 
uh, weighing in excess of 6,500 pounds, uh, or it was a vehicle used principally for hire for the transportation of people. Those are your limos, taxis, ambulettes, or property. Uh, those would be your tow trucks, FedEx or UPS trucks, uh, trucking companies, things of that nature would qualify for intercompany loss transfer. And again, it's any vehicle in the accident, not just the at-fault vehicle. Um, it has to be over 6,500 pounds unloaded, so you can't factor in a trail, a trailer hitched onto a truck to get to the weight. Um, and remember that the livery requirement is specifically for hire. So uh, a, a pizza place that delivers its own pizzas in the course of its own business, that does not, the, the pizza delivery vehicle does not qualify as a livery vehicle. So how do we identify loss transfer potential? Uh, you, this is something that can be done right at the outset of the claim. We have on, uh, you should be able to see on the screen here, a police accident report on the right side, uh, those boxes on the top, there is a rubric for those uh, that the New York State DMV provides. You can determine how the uh, officer initially assigned fault. Um, they'll say whether someone ran uh, a traffic sign or uh, ran a red light or was um, driving recklessly, things of that nature. Those will be assigned in the boxes on the right side of the report. You can also get the insurance company codes from the report. Those are the two uh, boxes circled at the bottom in red. So uh, we can get these records from the DMV or from other searches to determine what kind of vehicle was involved in the accident. You can do that using the license plate. It should be on the police report. Uh, you can also check uh, the New York State Courts electronic filing system or uh, Web Civil Supreme eCourts for the third party action if one was filed. Sometimes they will have evidence regarding the vehicles uh, in their discovery responses, which may be filed in the case as part of a motion. So uh, it's worth it to check out the third party docket as well. Um, finally, we can contact the third party attorneys. Uh, we can reach out to uh, the defense counsel. They should have a very good idea since they're representing an automobile carrier of what their vehicle involved in the accident is. So these are all ways we can conduct an initial investigation and find out whether we have a case that qualifies for loss transfer. So we talked about this briefly earlier, but uh, the loss transfer interplay with Section 29. So when loss transfer applies, and this is a relatively common misconception, it doesn't mean that there is no $50,000 carve out to our Section 29 lien. That carve out remains in place, uh, subject to the exceptions that were mentioned earlier. Uh, it just creates a separate right of recovery under loss transfer. So the first $50,000 comes out of our Section 29 lien, and you have a right to recover that directly from the third party automobile defense carrier. Uh, the second source of recovery is your Section 29 lien on the claimant settlement. So this is a very basic example, but say we have a total of $100,000 paid in workers' compensation. We'd have a right to recover the first 50 if loss transfer applies via intercompany loss transfer. And then we would get approximately two thirds of our reimbursement on the latter $50,000 under section 29. So how do we get the process of loss transfer started? Serving the intercompany reimbursement notification form. This is a specifically available form online. Uh, it's a standard form. It contains very basic information. 
Uh, you can pretty much get it all from the police report and the payment ledger, what you paid in indemnity, what you paid in medical, uh, who the uh, insured is, what their claim number is, that type of information. Uh, there's no proofs required to serve it. So it's something we recommend doing almost immediately once you've identified that the case arguably qualifies for loss transfer. Uh, whether it actually qualifies is something to be resolved in the arbitration itself. So uh, even if the case arguably qualifies, we recommend serving this. Typically, we would attach the police report as proof that the case is subject to loss transfer and the payment ledger as proof of our damages. Uh, but again, there are no proofs required to serve it, but it is a statutory prerequisite to being able to file for arbitration later on. So... We've served the intercompany reimbursement notification and they either, the third party automobile carrier either uh, denies the claim for loss transfer or doesn't provide a response. Then what are our options? Uh, we have to file for intercompany arbitration through the mandatory forum, which is Arbitration Forms Incorporated. Uh, it's referred to in their system as NY uh, PIP arbitration. In my opinion, it's a bit, of a, a bit of a misnomer. We're not really dealing with PIP, but that's, uh, that's what the whole system is called. Uh, filing is done online. Now, uh, for New York PIP claims in arbitration form system, uh, workers' compensation carriers can never be named as respondents, meaning uh, another company cannot file for intercompany loss transfer demanding reimbursement from the workers' compensation carrier. Typically, you would see that done either uh, a HIMP claim, health insurance matching program, if, uh, if it applies, or uh, in a decision by the Workers' Compensation Board. But companies that write insurance policies in the state of New York are mandatory signatories to the intercompany uh, loss transfer arbitration program. So uh, the, if they are writing the policies in the state of New York, which it almost always is in these cases, we can name them as a respondent and it is mandatory. Uh, so the statute of limitations to file for intercompany loss transfer arbitration is three years from the date of each payment for which reimbursement is claimed. So this is referred to as a rolling statute of limitations, uh, and it's the date of payment, not the date it's supposed to cover treatment for or lost time for. It's the date the check was issued. So we'll go into, very briefly, uh, loss transfer litigation. Uh, when, when you file the formal claim for intercompany loss transfer arbitration, you're going to select a hearing date, designate your representative, this would be uh, your attorney that plans to appear, uh, and you can either do a phone or in-person hearing. Uh, it's a weird quirk of their system, arbitration forum system, that attorneys are considered TPAs, third-party administrators, so they have to be pre-authorized uh, as a representative of the member company in order to file for intercompany loss transfer arbitration. Uh, and TPAs cannot represent other TPAs. So if there's a third party uh, administrator handling the workers' compensation claim, the attorney will have to represent the insurance carrier that the third party administrator is handling the claim for, not the third party administrator themselves. Uh, you would raise your affirmative pleadings in your application and upload any documentary evidence. Affirmative pleadings don't arise all that often. Uh, your burden of proof for loss transfer is a preponderance of the evidence. So you just need to show more likely than not uh, that the other driver was liable. Uh, by other driver, I mean the one that the third-party defense carrier has the coverage for. And you would need to show that the case qualifies for loss transfer, over 6,500 pounds unladen or uh, a livery vehicle. And 
in the response, the respondent is allowed to raise their affirmative defenses, such as the case is not subject to loss transfer, and if there's a third-party litigation pending, they can request a deferment, and it will almost always be granted, though you can oppose it. So what loss transfer results in is an arbitration award. Um, the award is only comprised of basic benefits. So again, it's amounts paid in lieu of first-party benefits for the workers' compensation carrier. So your arbitration award is going to be at or under $50,000. Uh, the hearing process is not so much a hearing. Uh, the arbitrator is going to review the evidence in advance. If you have a personal representative there, they'll come out, they'll ask some questions, and thereafter they'll issue a formal decision regarding liability and damages. Those decisions are considered final and binding, except in some very rare instances. And uh, if you would like to vacate the award later on, your remedy would be under CPLR 7511. So to summarize, how can we at Lois Law Firm help you maximize your reimbursement? Start investigating now. Uh, as we mentioned earlier, serving that intercompany reimbursement notification is something you can do from day one, as Christian Cisan would like to say. Uh, it's part of our comprehensive defense process to investigate the potential for loss transfer at file intake, uh, get the intercompany reimbursement notification out the door, conduct any necessary investigation into the vehicles involved. These are all things that can be done the moment you're notified that a claim has occurred. Uh, we can leverage our knowledge of the workers' compensation claim into a successful claim for intercompany loss transfer. This would be where we'd be taking the medicals we've paid or the indemnity we've paid and our knowledge of the facts of the case in defending the workers' compensation claim into maximizing your reimbursement, both via loss transfer and via uh, Section 29 lien on the third-party settlement, if there is a third-party settlement. Uh, we can look in and out at the claim from every aspect to see if there's any ways around the $50,000 carve-out. Again, if it's an accident outside the state of New York, there's no $50,000 carve-out. There are amounts that are considered not paid in lieu of first-party benefits. These are something that these are things that a competent attorney would be able to review in detail and figure out how to maximize everything you can get back from the third-party settlement or via loss transfer. And along that same line, pursue all avenues of recovery. Make sure you're maximizing your Section 29 reimbursement from the third-party settlement, doing the proper cost litigation calculation, asserting a lien properly, monitoring the third-party action, appearing at settlement conferences and pursuing loss transfer, including arbitration, if it becomes necessary. So that's going to do it for uh, the narrative portion of the presentation. As mentioned earlier, uh, there is a questions portion we'll get to. So let's see if we have any questions. does not appear that we have any questions, so uh, that is going to do it for our presentation. Um, the next Major Mondays webinar broadcast would be on February 10th. Uh, we got a pretty exciting topic for New Jersey claims in that one, the so-called verbal threshold. Uh, it's another hairy aspect of law similar to what it is in New York, uh, New Jersey's no-fault coverage. So uh, we look forward to having you join for that presentation as well. Uh, thank you, everyone, and I hope you enjoyed the webinar, and have a good day.